Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, Elsewhere! With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello! Hello! And welcome to Rex Factor, reviewing all the Queen and Prince consorts from Elswith to Prince Philip. And as you can tell, that means we are at our first proper episode of the series. We are reviewing once again. Brilliant. Yes, it was a this week and a name. This is it. We're underway. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at RexFactorPod. Like the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page and you can email us on RexFactorPodcast at Hotmail.com. And if you really like what you're hearing, you can join the Privy Council. Donate monthly to get some bonus content and help us keep going. And if you don't have the money to spare, spread the word, subscribe, leave a review and tell your friends about this show. Thank you very much for those who have done so. Indeed. So, we are doing, as we said, all the Queen and Prince Consorts of England, so those are the people who are married to the monarch. Yeah, should be easy. In our introductory episode of this series, we explained how we're going to be scoring them. So it's the same factors as we've always done, but we're going to be changing our outlook on some of them to reflect the fact that the consorts have a different role. Yeah. And thus our expectations also have to switch a little bit. Mm. Now, we also have a bit of a challenge when particularly doing the Saxon consorts. Right. Because for many of them, there's not an awful lot of information. Oh, gosh. So I've got a little quote from uh, Cyril Smith from Mm. 1977 from a historical journal when he wrote about two of the Saxon queens. Anglo-Saxon history, whatever its merits, can hardly be said to provide compulsive reading. (laughs) All too often, insufficient biographical details survive for even the leading actors on the stage to appear as much more than shadows. We know next to nothing of their physical makeup, their aspirations, their prejudices, or their emotions. We don't always have a lot of biographical evidence, that is true. Mm. Some of them we do, some of them we don't. So some of the episodes will take on a sort of rather broader look at certain relevant aspects of Anglo-Saxon queenship. Mm. So even though we might not know a lot about that particular individual, something about their reign will give us a little insight Mm -hmm. that we'll explore in more detail. But there are other episodes where actually we do know quite a bit and then we can piece together quite interesting life stories. Hopefully there'll always be interesting episodes, they just won't always be as heavy on the biographical front. And Elswith is, I'm afraid, going to be one of those okay. that is a little scanty on the biographical. When elements. does that pick up? When do we start getting a record? It's on and off, to be honest. Oh, you right. have some queens that are very influential and thus do leave more of a record, and you get a few others that are kind of flashing flashes in the pan. <laughs> others that are flashing and there's <laughs> photographs. Yeah. This could be your opportunity, Alan. <laughs> I didn't think we were going to get to use that. Oh, hilarious. Uh, but yeah, so Elswith, despite you know being a character people might recognise from uh, the TV show Last Kingdom. No, which one was she? Uh, Alfred's. Oh yeah. Concert. <laughs> um, oh no, she was really pious. So we'll say what we know about Elswith and review her as best we can. But then we're also going to look into a broader theme, and for Elswith, it's going to be the Anglo-Saxon and indeed Wessex attitude towards queens. It's almost something of a backgroundy stuff. Okay. Biography! So, Elswith. Yes. She is born, we don't know, yep. 
exactly when she was born. She gets married in 868, so we assume it must have been at least in the 850s, if not the late 840s. Uh, she's the daughter of a chap called Ethelred Musil and Edburh. Which one's the female? Uh, Edburh or Edburger. Her father was an elderman of the Gaini, which is an old tribal group, probably Gainsborough. Ah. Oh. That's where we get the Gainsborough yeah, yeah. Gaini from. Um, but it's absorbed into Mercia. Right, yeah. Her mother seems to be of royal descent in Mercia. Oh, right. Possibly a chap called King Coinwilf. And unfortunately, we don't know what Elswith looks like. And for this series, we don't have Heritage Limited playing cards. Yes, what's the hashtag? So instead, we're using hashtag consort cards where the listeners can send in their version of a Heritage playing card yeah. for each episode. And then at the end of the series, we'll put them all together. So if you listen to this episode and take some inspiration, mm. send us a drawing of Elswith. Yep. And we will post them all online. Mm. Now, I've been talking here about the Gyne, the Mercia, all these different place names. So a little mm. quick backgroundy stuff about Anglo-Saxon England yeah. at this time. is not yet one unified kingdom. There is not yet an England as such. Mm. Rather, there's a series of smaller kingdoms. So Elswith is from Mercia, mm. which is this big one, basically slap bang in the middle. Right. So it's the Midlands, but much larger than what we call the Midlands today. So it stretches down to the Cotswolds on the west, London on the east. Oh, right. Okay, so uh, um, the Midlands as in a great big band across the centre. Yeah. Previously, it was the dominant kingdom in England, particularly under a chap called Offa. Oh, of dyke fame. Of the dyke fame uh, in the late 8th century. But it suffered a major defeat to another kingdom, Wessex, in the Battle of Ellendon in 85. And from that point on, it's not quite the same Ellendon. That's familiar. Uh, sounds like Elland Road. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. Or Elverdon, Centre Park, yeah. Um, so we've got all these different kingdoms. They're all kind of a bit up and down. Sometimes one's dominant, sometimes another is mm. dominant. But the cat is really put amongst the pigeons when the Vikings turn up. Yeah. Raiders from Scandinavia. They've been raiding in England since about 793. But in 865, we have the Great Heathen Army, according to legend led by the sons of Ragnar Lothbrok. Oh, fans of the series yeah, Vikings, Vikings will be yeah. familiar with all of this. This provides a major threat because they're not just raiding, but they're actually sticking around and conquering. Okay. So in 867, they capture the city of York and the old kingdom of Northumbria. Mm. They then take Nottingham in Mercia and mm. over winter. Uh, where's that? Oh, they just stayed, stayed the winter, over winter, okay. which is actually a word I discovered, oh, overwintered. Right. Yeah. Mm. So, Mercia is a little bit concerned about all of this. Understandably. Nobody wants Vikings on their door. So, they turn to Wessex for an alliance against the Vikings. Okay. Now, Wessex, uh, the kingdom of the West Saxons, is essentially southern England. So, the south and then going off to the southwest down towards Cornwall. It's confusing. Hmm. And Wessex is dominant, really, from the 820s after that battle where they defeated Mercia. Mm. Wessex is the main kingdom. Um, we've had past alliances between the two uh, kingdoms. In 853, King Burgred of Mercia appealed for Wessex, Wessex help in subjugating the Welsh. Mm. And he married King Ethelwolf's daughter, Ethelswith. Mm. So is there a chance the two could be related? Well, in 868, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle relates, Burgred, still the king of Mercia, and his councillors asked Ethelred, king of Wessex, and Alfred, his brother, that they help them that they fight against the force. The force, presumably the, the, the Viking. Viking force. Right, yeah. So Ethelred is the king, Alfred is his younger brother, 
So they are the sons of the previous king that made the alliance with Burgred. Mm. So Ethelswith, the Queen of Mercia, is their sister. Right. Now, they want to seal this alliance with a marriage. Yeah. But Burgred and Ethelred are already married. Mm. And obviously because Burgred's wife is Alfred's sister, Alfred can't be marrying any of Burgred's children, which you might normally expect for this sort of alliance. What would they be, cousins? Uh, they would be his nieces. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, mm. no. So, instead, they've got to have somebody else, and that somebody else is Elswith. Mm. So, she's not as prestigious a match as uh, some of Alfred's predecessors enjoyed. So, his father and his eldest brother married a princess from France. Oh, right. Wow. Um, but as we said, he's kind of limited. Um, but she's still from a very powerful family. Her mother seems to be of royal stock in mercy. So it's, you know, it's no... Uh, it's good going still. Pretty good going. Indeed, Asa, Alfred's biographer, a Welsh monk, seemed to be well impressed with her mother. The woman's mother, called Edber, is from the royal stock of the king of the Mercians. I often saw her myself with my very own eyes for several years before her death. She was a notable woman who remained for many years after the death of her husband, a chaste widow, until her death. Hmm. We're going to hear a lot from him, are we? Quite a bit from Asa. Yeah. Good source for us. So, Elswith from a respected family, her mother's of royal stock. It's a good match. Okay. Uh, the military campaign in 868 does not seem to be particularly successful. Mercia and Wessex besieged the Vikings in Nottingham. The Vikings didn't fancy it, so they just came to terms. Um, I still, even though I've learned about them, I still can't help but feel like the Saxons are somewhat like the Low Countries in 1939, <laughs> and the Vikings are the marauding Wehrmacht. Mm. Uh, are they totally mismatched, are they? Or that it's... Well, I mean, obviously it would take a pretty amazing kind of king to halt that blitzkrieg. Mm. Mm. Uh, military campaign doesn't perhaps have the successes they hope for, but nevertheless, they still have the diplomatic alliance, and that mm. is sealed by a wedding. Alfred and Elswith get married. Um, either at Sutton Courtney or Gainsborough. Right. We've seen both suggested. Uh, Gainsborough is closer to Nottingham, and obviously where Elswith is from. Mm. Uh, they would have had the great and the good of both Mercia and Wessex there, likely a very grand affair. Yeah. But, unfortunately, things take a bit of a darker turn. As Asa relates, after the wedding feast, Alfred was struck without warning in the presence of the entire gathering by a sudden severe pain. What, during the wedding? Uh, yes, or just after the feast, perhaps. He didn't fancy her. Well. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. I've got the string in my leg has <laughs> gone. And Asa indicates no one knew exactly what it was. Miraculous recovery? Well, no. So uh, oh. some considered it could have been piles, because it was something he suffered from earlier in his uh. his life. Others later suggested it might have been Crohn's disease, because he does have a lifelong ailment, oh, and it yeah. does seem to be digestive in oh, character, or yeah. sort of related to his stomach and that sort of area. And it's in the family, isn't it, with Edred? Yeah, so having a great big feast probably wouldn't help. Uh, acid reflux. Mm. Um, but... It's not necessarily the best of wedding nights for Elswith. No. Not least, as Alfred, as uh, Asser related, that Alfred was unable in his youth to abstain from carnal desire. Yeah. So he used to pray to God for a minor affliction to avert it. Oh, so he got his wish. Yeah, so enough that he wouldn't be able to go around being carnal all the time, but yeah. equally not so much that he would be impeded as a... Yeah ruler mm. so he was very glad when god sent him piles 
<laughs> Aren't we all? And likewise, he would have considered this ailment some form of intervention from God. But from Elspeth's experience, she just got married. She might never have met him before. Um, racked with pain on his wedding night, praying for Pyle so he doesn't feel too excited about everything. It's not perhaps the best of starts to her. No, it's not. That's not. It, I mean, there's not many fairy tales that go that with involve piles at all. No, <laughs> certainly not any Disney ones I've seen. Anyway, anyway, she's married to Alfred, but she's not yet uh, the consort because mm. Alfred, of course, isn't king. But that changes in eight seven one. Alfred becomes king when his brother dies, but is not perhaps the best of times to be the king of Wessex. East Anglia has fallen to the Vikings in eight six nine. Mm. And Alfred has some rather mixed results when he first takes on the Vikings. Yeah. So initially, he pays them to leave. Do they do that? Uh, they do. Initially, they leave him alone, and then they pop off back to Mercia. And in 874, Burgred and Ethelswith are forced out of Mercia, and they go into exile mm. off to the continent. So we've now really got pretty much every kingdom apart from Wessex falling to the Vikings. Mm. Elswith is now the consort. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, she's never actually crowned, anointed, or even referred to as queen. Hmm. She probably would have been called lady instead. Right. So lady of the English, perhaps, or lady of the Saxons, lady oh, like, of Wessex. Um, Matilda. The same title, perhaps, but not meaning the same thing. So when the Empress Matilda was preparing to be crowned, she was dubbed the lady of the English because that was a sort of transition title before she would be crowned queen regnant. Yeah. In this case... It just seems to be that that's as much honour as they're willing to provide. Like First Lady. Yeah. Of the US type thing. Indeed. This is indicative to the attitudes uh, of the West Saxons in Wessex towards queens and queenship. So we'll explore that later after we've reviewed her. But it is a deliberate decision by Alfred not to make her a queen. Hmm. And we don't know what she would have thought about that, if she would have been put out about that, or she would just have to... Well, she would have just had to accept it, but... Hmm. She's How not accorded odd. quite the status, we might assume. Yeah. Anyway, whatever status she does have is thrown completely out of the window in the year 878. After celebrating Twelfth Night at Chippenham, the Vikings launched a surprise attack on the uh, Wessex court. Alfred and his household are forced to flee from court into the marshes and Athelney, mm. all around Somerset. The kingdom of Wessex, the future England, is basically now just a little island in the middle of a swamp. Uh, okay how are they offer foodstuffs there not great so they'll have to be you know doing little raids on I mean, settlements specifically and... cake ah well yes this is where Alfred burns his cakes yeah. of course um, but yeah it's not a particularly fun existence Alfred's burning the cakes otherwise they're having to launch guerrilla attacks on local settlements to get food and is she with him and she will be with him because she will have been at the Christmas court and right. indeed with their children Oh, so kids. she and the children all have to head off with Alfred rushing mm. off in the middle of the night to escape being butchered wow. by the Vikings. So really a pretty low time for yeah, all of them, gosh, and a very challenging time for all of them. Um, thankfully, <laughs> Alfred yelling back, don't forget my cream, don't forget my cream. <laughs> thankfully, however, Alfred is able to recover from this situation. He links up with various allies who are still out there and supporting him. And then they come together and defeat the Vikings in the Battle of Eddington. Mm. Big, big, big moment in English history. Though. Very big moment. And he spends the next 20 years shoring up Wessex's defences, building burrs, which are these sort of new fortified towns, uh, as well as launching an education programme. Mm. All very good. 
What Elsworth's up to at this time, we're not entirely sure. Again, her role is not really recorded. It's likely she had a strong role in the upbringing of at least some of her children. Mm. Um, likely that she would have been present at major ceremonies, such as the refounding of London. Mm. This is where Alfred is named King of the Anglo-Saxons, so he's starting to have aspirations of ruling all Saxons rather than just being the King of Wessex. Oh, right, yeah. So the Mercians are all right with that? Well, quite possibly, but it's at this ceremony, Alfred is named King of the Anglo-Saxons, and also there is another marriage alliance between Wessex and Mercia. This time, Elswith's daughter, Ethelfled, marries the Lord of the Mercians. Right. Brilliant. So mm. it's just, they're, they're rapidly becoming one large family. Indeed. Mm. Lots of intermarriage between Wessex and Mercia. Mm. But it all comes to an end in October of 899, when at the age of roughly 50 years old, Alfred the Great dies of natural causes. Mm, pretty good going in those days. Not too bad. Outlast, outlived by his wife? Outlived by his wife. So as we said in our introductory episode, the period after the king dies, we will still be considering and mm. reviewing, because they often still have an important role, particularly yeah. when they are the Queen Mother, which Elswith is. Alfred leaves some things to Elswith in his will. It's the earliest surviving will that we have for an Anglo-Saxon king. Wow. He leaves her three key estates. Eddington, where the great battle was. <laughs> three keys, two estates. <laughs> a Volvo XC90. <laughs> so Eddington, which is where the battle... Oh, yeah. The great battle was. Lambourne, which is near Ashdown, where he enjoyed another great yeah. victory yeah. Uh, in 871. And Wantage, which is where he was born. Mm. So it seems like he's provided her quite symbolic yeah, that's lovely. places. And he also leaves her £100, oh. which at that time is equivalent to about 24,000 pence of silver. That is a lot of coins. It's more than a dinner for two at Loch Fine, which exactly. it sounds like today. Uh, she may have had other Mercian estates from her father, but there's no evidence of what else she possessed and what she did with it. Yeah, she's definitely going to be wealthy. Yeah. Um, in terms of how generous this is from Alfred, he gave his sons each £500, <laughs> and all of the women, i.e. his daughters and his wife, 100 Right. That says a lot about the attitudes, doesn't it? Mm. And hence why she's not queen, perhaps. Um, interestingly, in terms of how much money there is around at this time compared to later, in 991, Ethelred the Unready's smallest Danegeld was £10,000. <sighs> wow. That's how much he was paying them just to go away? Yeah, just once after Molden. Oh, my word. Holy moly. Gosh. That all comes later, of course. Yeah, right. For now, Elswith is the Queen Mother, and she is the Queen Mother to Edward the Elder, their eldest son. Uh, he became king, but faced opposition from his cousin, Ethelwald. Now, Ethelwald was the son of Alfred's older brother, mm. and he didn't become king originally because he was just a baby so it went to alfred as the brother yeah but when alfred dies ethelwald thinks well my turn, my turn now yeah. so it's quite likely that elswith would have been seen as an important respected figure at court that would lend some of the sheen of alfred's glories perhaps to edward mm. so her status seems to have increased under edward yeah in comparison to what it was under alfred so she witnesses oh. a charter for the first time and she is referred in it as mater regis Mother Ooh. of the king. Ooh. God, so it seems actually a much more important role now. When when she was wife of the king, mm. king did everything. But when she's sort of Mother, guiding yeah. a young king, that's more important. Exactly. And she gets to actually do something as well. She founded a nunnery. Hooray. Um, Nunnerminster, as it's known, or St. Mary's in Winchester. 
Okay. So she's a bit of a legacy as well, getting yep. a chance to actually do her own things. Mm. But sadly, she doesn't get very long to enjoy her newfound status and yep. independence. On the 5th of December, 902, we get this obituary from the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, which lays on the compliments pretty thick. Elswith passed away. That same year was the fight at the Holm between the Kentish and the Danes. <laughs> Elderman Etherwolf died, brother of Elswith. Uh, oh, that's it. Oh, that's it's a like loving they, tribute. God, it's like they jammed it in between the football scores. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. But, you know, I'm mm. surprised at the amount there was. I thought there might have been less. Mm. And she's buried in uh, Winchester's new Benedictine Abbey, the Newminster, where she is placed beside Alfred. Oh, sweet. So together in death. Mm. Is she still there? Uh, Do we have Alfred's tomb? It's all the Reformation and stuff. It all gets oh, of course. Henry VIII. I that blimmin' man. He did more <laughs> to ruin history, tell you. <laughs> he did. Anyway, that's all, sadly, that we have for her biography, for her mm. life and reign. But let's see how she does when we review her. Battleiness! So, the consorts, obviously, is the biggie, really, battleiness in terms of our different approach. Mm. So, if they do have evidence of getting involved in military affairs in some way, then obviously we'll give big points to that. Yeah. But what we're also looking for is kind of independence of action, that sort of general bravery agency, that sort of thing. Mm, having their own uh, agenda. Yeah. Now, we don't obviously have very much for Elswith because no. we don't have very much recorded what she did at all. But what I did think perhaps we might want to give her some credit for is the fact that she does have to endure that rather torrid oh, yeah. time in 878, when she and the yeah. household are forced into exile. Yeah. So the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle relates, The Force, which sounds quite cool saying The Force, yeah. it's, it's the Vikings, but nevertheless we'll keep with that. The Force stole in midwinter after Twelfth Night to Chippenham. They rode over Wessex and occupied it, and drove many of the people over the sea. The other great part they overcame, except King Alfred with a little company, which with difficulty went through the woods onto the inaccessible moors. Oh. It, and so it really is like a... Uh, uh, it's like a, an, an SAS mission or the Great Escape. They're, they're, she is in the middle or, and suffering as much as the other fellows. And... Yes, I mean, you presume that the Vikings coming in, they wouldn't have been able to take, you know, like 500 people yeah. just off. They're being attacked. They're really running yeah. out in the middle of the night. Wow. To get away. So this is a small group. And they may have been joined later by some other people that also left and they all end up coming together. But still, it's not... God, yeah. So she would have had to pull her weight. It's not a case She would have had her. to pull yeah. her weight. And of course, she's got the children with her. And oh. it's perhaps unlikely that she has many women there to help no. her, oh. if any at all. Um, the oldest is eight at this point. Mm. So she's got some actual babies mm. there to be looking after as well. And it would have been a grim experience. Um Alfred and his men had to launch guerrilla attacks to get food, probably mm. from actual Sax Saxon settlements a lot of the time, but they've no other way of uh, surviving, obviously, yeah. particularly if Alfred's burning cakes left, right, and centre. Yeah, <laughs> they're going to have to get a lot of ingredients. It's fine, I'll do I'll do the cooking. Oh, How God's hard sake. can it be? <laughs> um, but yeah, otherwise, they're hiding in marshlands. And remember, that this is Twelfth Night, so this is winter. Yeah. In the marshes as well, so it's going to be freezing cold, horrible weather, very little oh, food. Oh, it's not worth it. Graham. And you're consistently going to be a bit concerned that at some point, 
You're going to die. A Viking head's going to pop up over the rushes and... Oh, it's the cold. Oh, it's, that, it's not worth it. Mm. Just say you win, <laughs> I'm off to France. Well, that's what most Saxon kings yeah. and queens did, presumably. They didn't get blood eagled or filled through of arrows. Yeah. Most of them did, like Burgerid and Ethelswith. They just thought, right, we'll go to Rome, much nicer. I'm not made for King Ingram. No, but Alfred and Elswith with him, mm. they obviously were, because they stuck it out, despite everything. And Elswith then would have had the hardship of dealing with Alfred afterwards, because William of Malmesbury relates, a little like Charles II and his escape from mm. Oliver Cromwell. He was accustomed, when in happier circumstances, to relate to his companions, in a lively and agreeable manner, his perils, <laughs> and how he escaped them by the merits of St. Cuthbert. For it frequently happens that men are pleased with the recollection of those circumstances which formerly they dreaded to encounter. Yeah, so he dined on out, out on it forever. Is what so, and she sat next to him the entire time being like, yes, I remember, yes, I was there. Yeah, I did as much as you, but I was carrying children as well. So we don't obviously have particular direct evidence of what she did during this exile, and we don't have any other evidence of stuff we can really relate to a form of battliness, mm. but still, it's the hard experience she went through that most queens or consorts would never have no. to go through. It's tricky how to score though, isn't it? Mm. I mean, it's still probably not going to be a high score, no. but perhaps upwards of zero. Yeah, 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 it's definitely not zero. We have this every series, don't we, where we've got to try to decide how to score these first ones because we don't have a baseline of a 10. Yeah. Or a, a a five to really yeah. then really when there's not much that's probably more appropriate. Um, one, yeah, it's, it's sort of it's, it feels harsh giving low scores, but equally we don't have enough to go on. So some of these Saxons we are going to have to give very low scores and sometimes zeros simply yeah. because there's not the evidence to support it. So it's yeah. not that Elswith wasn't brave that she didn't have a lot of influence and do a lot of things independently, but without any record of that, yeah. it's impossible for us to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to give her a two. One oh. for the actual experience and then one for <laughs> to put up with it all 20 <laughs> one years for afterwards. the stories of yeah. 20 years, yeah. So that's a three for battliness. Where does that put her in the table? Uh, currently, she is in first place for God, battliness okay. among the consoles. So it's a good Brilliant. start, really. Great start. Scandal. Well, here, I'm afraid, I couldn't even infer a whiff of scandal for mm. Elswith. Okay. Nothing at all. Um, can I can I conjure anything up from what we've heard? Uh, the wedding night, maybe her disappointment. It's not really scandalous. No, is it? it's rubbish. There's nothing. I'm afraid it's got to be a zero for scandal. Subjectivity. Well, she does have some stuff here. She does leave a legacy, and her main one is Nunnerminster, mm. nunnery. And obviously religious patronage is going to be something of a favourite for you in this series. I think you're going to get a lot of this. Yeah. Um, but it's important, you know, although unrecorded, church involvement is a good potential area for Elswith and other Saxon queens to get involved in. It's a sphere in which they do seem to be allowed to have influence. It's an acceptable activity for them to be getting in. Her mother was said to be very pious and Alfred found two religious houses during his reign and their daughter Ethelgiva became the abbess of Shaftesbury. Mm. So it's in the family. Mm. So she is credited with founding the nunnery, and indeed the boundaries of some of her lands correspond to that of the abbey. So mm. it does seem to add up that she did. Oh, she it. actually gave it. Mm. Mm. 
Uh, she died before it was completed, so that's why she's buried at Newminster rather than Nunnerminster, the one that she founded, because the one that she founded hadn't actually finished, yeah, finished being yeah. built. Okay. They could have dug another hole, couldn't they? Well, I suppose, but, you know, it's mm. a bit unseemly to dig her up after a few <laughs> Put years. Put her in a building site. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a surviving prayer book from Nunnerminster, from Saxon times, which suggests that actually she probably was still alive at the time that it was uh, written, because it speaks of her in the present tense. Oh, right. So it's possible that that might even have been her prayer book. Oh. So that we do actually have something that she wow. held and used. Uh, well, that's, do you, uh, that actual copy survives? Uh, that seemed to be suggested maybe it's a copy a co- yeah. of the original, but okay. still, it's something. Mm. Something. <laughs> One of her granddaughters becomes a nun there. So it yeah. stays in the family for a while. It was burnt in 1141 when there was a great fire in Winchester. Oh. By Who? Bishop Henry. Yes. I just, uh, I, you could see the cogs turning <laughs> in my mind then. Did you give me a little an spin. extra second to think about it? I wasn't getting there. Yeah. Yes, yeah, okay. so we discussed this in our Empress Matilda yeah. special episode. That, sorry. Yes, there's people listening in four years' time who won't realise the significance of that. We've just done the Matilda episode. Um, but despite the fire, it remains a very prosperous house until, obviously, Henry VIII and the dissolution and the suppression of the monasteries and the nunneries, etc. That man... But still, that's uh, a foundation she made yeah. that survives for you know, a good 600 or so years mm. very prosperously. So that is a genuine legacy and something that she... Yeah, I suppose I, it's very unlikely that anything I do in my life will last 600 years. Mm. This is probably the most lasting legacy <laughs> that we'll leave. Now, something else which has been put forward, uh, historian Mary Dockray Miller says that um, her role is not necessarily silenced pre-899, i.e. during Alfred's reign, but perhaps she's busy with things that aren't considered interesting enough to be recorded by male chroniclers. Like, what does she say? Well, so, like, motherhood and bringing up of the children, which is a very important role mm. at court and indeed for consorts. Yeah. Asa related an anecdote of Alfred being taught to read by his mother, yeah. which he would have known from Alfred telling him, so it being quite a formative experience for Alfred. Mm. So, oh, so she would have been doing that, yeah. Therefore, we can probably assume that she would have done the same for their children. Good and point. she does a very good job, um, not to uh, spoil us for dynasty, but raises a very successful brood of children, mm. all make it to adulthood. Mm. So despite where they were in the marshes in 878, and despite just the general peril of being alive in the Anglo-Saxon period, yeah. with Vikings running around, all their children make it to adulthood. One becomes King of the English, one becomes Lady of the Mercians, an abbess of Shaftesbury, a Countess of Flanders, and a wealthy landowner. Cool. I'd like to be the wealthy landowner, Indeed. please. Um, might have to cut this, but I thought Al- um, Athelstan was Alfred's grandson. He is. So how does one become King of the English? Uh, that's Edward the Elder, who is the father of Athelstan. Oh, there's one between Alfred and Athelstan. Yes, such is the uh, extent to which Edward gets forgotten. Really? Yeah. We even recorded an episode on him. Not sure that counts as a Rex fact, but nevertheless... No, it learned. certainly is. I've <laughs> learned. I mean, for other people, they'll be going, yes, we know this, we've done mm. the series. And another thing we can say in her favour is that although it's not necessarily laid on thick in terms of the Chronicles, and we said that obituary was not perhaps the most fulsome mm. Mm. piece of prose, but we can assume that she was valued. So it's a very long marriage, 31 years 
She's yeah. married to Alfred. And as we'll see in later episodes, indeed, with Edward the Elder, many Saxon kings repudiate their wives in order to make new alliances. Yeah. And Alfred's position throughout his reign is hardly the most secure. Yeah. So it would have been very understandable if Alfred had thought, well, to be honest, I could maybe do with making a new alliance now. And just divorce her. Just get rid of her and marry somebody else. I didn't know they could do that. Pack her off to a nunnery and take yeah. another bride. But he never does that. Mm. Which, despite the fact that the chroniclers are silent about her reign, presumably does speak volumes about their relationship and her importance to Alfred. Yeah, that whole Mercian connection, I think. Mm. Because 31 years is one of the longest marriages, I think, probably for the whole series, never mind just for a Saxon period. Do we do it? We don't have a category on that, do we? We don't, but obviously for longevity, that will Uh help her score. Asa refers to her as Alfred's excellent wife. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't know why, but I've I've just... I, the cut of this man's jib, I'm <laughs> suspecting everything. Uh, that suggests that she fulfilled all the expected duties of her position and was a respected figure by Alfred and by the court. Because mm. Asser is taking everything really from Alfred. Mm. So if he's saying, excellent wife, we assume that everybody thought that she was. Yeah. And, as we said, under Edward, she seems to gain new status as Queen Mother. We have our first evidence of her witnessing a charter in 901. And the foundation of Nunnerminster is her first evidence-independent action. And uh, by Edward, she's commemorated as the true and dear Lady of the English. Yeah, she seems to have come out of her shell a bit, or come certainly after the shadow of Alfred. Mm. And it might be for Edward, particularly because he's facing that opposition from his cousin Ethelwald, as he said that his mother, respected as a figure from Alfred's court, but also as a Mercian by birth, he's able perhaps to try to appeal to those people as well. So as Queen Mother, she becomes a very significant political figure for Edward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's the one, of course, that has her buried at Newminster alongside uh, Alfred. Apparently it's very rare for Anglo-Saxon queens to be buried with their husbands. Oh, really? So that, again, suggests a successful marriage, but also that she's a successful figure, though that's not a controversial move on his part. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well done, her. Hmm. So although not lots of detail on things, we can actually infer, you know, she has a legacy with the nunnery. She seems to have been valued by Edward and certainly uh, by Alfred and certainly by Edward. Yeah, again, but it's just knowing what the level is. You've got a better idea of what's coming up. Um, So I don't know if two is unreasonable, but I feel like there's definitely something. One Mm. for a nunnery. One for her work. Oh, no, maybe two for her work with Edward, actually. You've got work with Edward early on. We've got, you know, the long marriage and the the comments and actions like the buried with Alfred, like the excellent wife, like the charter and stuff the Queen Mother is. Sort of suggestions that even though we're not getting lots of examples, she must have been more important than yeah, the records and it's, are suggesting. Or, and because there isn't the evidence, it doesn't mean there isn't anything. Mm. And I wouldn't want her to be scored incredibly low because compared to some future ones. Although you've got to just do it on the fact. I'll go with three. Hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give her a four. Hmm. And I think that probably it's one where if we did have more evidence that she would actually score quite highly yeah. because, you say, 31 years, Alpha never repudiates her. All the comment, the very few comments we have, hmm. but they are positive. The accents suggest that she's respected. I think, in fairness, there will be some Saxons we do where there is more direct evidence yeah. Of stuff and we don't just have to infer between the lines. We mm. do actually have stuff written on the lines. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Three from me. 
And a four for me, which is a seven for subjectivity. She is just adding to this first place. Hmm. Longevity. Well, this is one of the ones where we are taking a slightly different approach. Because mm. we're not just giving her credit for her time as consort, but also her time as Queen Mother. Yes. So, she was consort from the 23rd of April, 871, to the 26th of October, 899. So, that's not when she was married to Alfred. That's when Alfred became king. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, that is 28.5 years. Good. Now, she was then Queen Mother from the 26th of October, 899, to the 5th of December, 902. Oh, damn. Not too long. So that's 3.08 years, and for the time as Queen Mother, what we're doing is halving that, Mm. so we give partial credit, Mm. because it's not quite the same as being the consort. So if we halve that, we get 1.54. So put it all together, she gets credited for 30.04 years, which gives her a score 15.5 out of 20. Ooh, because it's aggregated. Because it's aggregated across the whole series, so I've put them all together already and Mm. worked it out. So that's the joint 12th best longevity. (laughs) <laughs> poor, poor woman. She's really reviewed one, and she's already twelve. <laughs> but still, that's you know, given that she is the first one, given this is you know the late ninth century, yeah, the earliest going one. on, yeah, joint twelfth best is not bad. Pretty good going. Dynasty, not the program. She has five adult children that survive. Wow, uh, survive Alfred. Wow, as I said, and they all go on to be you know very successful as well. Yeah. And that is also very impressive. That gives her a score of 15 out of 20. Wow. Fantastic. So for Dynasty, she's joint 10th. Wow. Wow. So we put all of that together. She has a total score of 40.5. Shooting up the leaderboard straight to first place. She is way ahead of everybody else thus far in the series. Wow. But, of course, it's not all about the score. We have to decide, does she have that certain something, that great achievement, that lasting legacy, that star quality that we call... Rex Factor! Well, both of our previous series, the first one we reviewed has always got the Rex Factor. I'm tempted to keep with this tradition, not that it is... (laughs) ever planned Um, but well there's the escape that's a big thing yeah and then she goes on to be an important role in uh, the next reign I'm I like it the problem of course is that we've got very little actual evidence to go on apart Mm. from founding Nunnerminster the nunnery apart Mm. from being recognised as queen mother apart from being described as Alfred's quote excellent wife Mm, I mean, she's excellent. We're inferring a lot, but we are inferring it. We don't actually have anything particularly firm to go on. Other than we know she was definitely in that escape. We know she was definitely in that escape. But we don't obviously have any account of how she... Yeah, she might have been complaining the whole way. (laughs) And it might have been an awful lot easier without her. (laughs) It's like, who brought her along? (laughs) Jeepers. Oh, yeah, you're right. (laughs) Yeah. So I fear, sadly, without more evidence, Mm. I'm going to have to be a no from me. Well, it has to be unanimous. It does. So I'm happy to say say I'd I'd give her the X factor because I don't think she... I think she would have been slashing down the hedgerows and leading from the front. (laughs) Uh, She gets an honourable mention. We start throwing it out at this stage to... 
anyone yeah. that might have been good if there was more mm. evidence we're going to end up with a lot of yeah rex factors well it's going to be big playoffs <laughs> yeah very big playoffs <laughs> anyway she does not have the rex factor but one might ask why we don't have that evidence why don't we know more about her why don't we have what we need to be able to give her those higher scores mm. well we've got a question to ask a question of queens now here's the thing yeah. alfred the great commissioned the anglo-saxon chronicle mm. he had his own contemporary biographer mm. in the form of Asser. he wrote translations to various works with his own prefaces mm. so we get his own voice on certain things we know more about alfred than any other anglo-saxon ruler wow and yet elswith his wife of over 30 years and yeah. consort witnesses no charters during Alfred's reign. Mm. There's one potential one, but a historian described it as a magnificently blatant forgery. <laughs> right. Why would someone bother doing that? Uh, we'll come to charters in a later episode, but essentially it would be later on when someone wants to prove that they've oh, got they rights to some land, so yeah. they'll just create a charter. Yeah. Um, but the real biggie, the real shocker, she is not mentioned by name in any contemporary source from Alfred's reign. Well, where do we know about her from then? The only reason we know her name is because of her appearing in the Chronicle under Edward the Elder, her son. Really? So prior to Edward becoming king, during Alfred's long life and reign, mm. she is not mentioned once by name. So even in Asser's biography, as we said, Alfred's excellent wife. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. He describes her as being the daughter of this man and the daughter of this woman. He lists all of their children. She is never even named in the biography. Wow, that'd be so much more straightforward. It's like when you're trying to describe someone <laughs> and you go, or a TV program or something, you you uh, list all the things it's like, mm. but the one thing that will tell you exactly what it is <laughs> is the name of it. Oh my word, what a waste of time. So we've got this bizarre situation where we know more about Alfred than any other Saxon king, and yet we always yeah. know almost nothing about Elsworth, and it, but for the son, we wouldn't even know her name. Weird. So the first thing you might wonder is, is Alfred just a raging misogynist? Yeah. But, you know, we've got a lovely anecdote from Asser about Alfred's mother, Osba, who is named, teaching him how to read. Mm. Um, his sister, Ethelswith, was an influential queen consort in Mercia. Their daughter, Ethelsed, is given a full education, the same as the sons. Now, it's not just that Saxons have an issue with women and queens, because previously there are actually lots of strong examples of royal Saxon women. Mm. Um, when Anglo-Saxon England first became Christian, women, and particularly royal women, had a very important role to play. Indeed, the reason that Augustine comes to Canterbury is because Bertha of Kent is a Christian. She'd come over and married the king of Kent, who was a pagan, but she has to be allowed to practice her own religion. Yeah. She sets up base in Kent, Augustine thinks, well, this is a friendly place to start. Yeah. And that's where they are. She corresponds with the Pope. Very influential. Right. Okay. And uh, St. Ethelreda, 7th century, daughter of King Anna of uh, East Anglia, helps convert Northumbria to Christianity when she marries King Egfrid. Ethelreda of Ely. She founds Ely. She's the abbess of Ely? Uh, yes. Um, Bede, of course, writing his great oh, history, yeah. features many examples of uh, saints and abbesses equally important and positive roles for women yeah. as for men. So it's not that, you know, Anglo-Saxons have never written about women and they've never had any kind of role because we've got all these examples of yeah, very powerful, very important women. Mm. Yeah, so what is the what's the deal then? 
Well, and it's also not even a thing about queens. Say in um, Mercia, Offa, the great powerful king, his consort, Kinefrith, um, was very influential. Not only does she witness charters, but in 787, the 30th year of Offa's reign, he had coins minted which actually portray her on the coin. So Elswith must be seething. Alfred's sister, Ethelswith, witnessed all of Burgred's surviving charters from the 9th century. And to see Ethelfled, Elswith's daughter, effectively goes on to rule Mercia. What's going on? Well, you'll notice I've given all these examples, East Anglia, Kent, Northumbria, Mercia. There's one kingdom I've not mentioned. Uh, Wessex. Wessex. So it's not an Anglo-Saxon issue, it seems to be a Wessex issue. Asa gives us an explanation, which is the fascinating thing. It's not just this mystery, but actually Asa explains to us why. What's going on here? So Asa relates, The people of the West Saxons do not suffer a queen to sit next to the king, nor do they even permit her to be called a queen, but only wife of the king. Wow! He's answering the question a thousand years ago that I just asked. He is answering the question. So this is not, you know, just some women weren't important so they didn't bother to write them down. This is a peculiarity to Wessex that is at odds with several hundred years of other Anglo-Saxon kingdoms. Wow. Um, it's not that no Wessex queens have ever had any kind of role. Indeed, there was um, in 672, when the king of Wessex died, his queen actually briefly ruled in his name, which is the only example we have in Anglo-Saxon England of a queen regnant. Right. Her name was Sexburger. Good name. But otherwise, for the most part, the evidence suggests that Wessex consorts were kept very much in the background, so they're lucky often even to be named, let alone seen to have a strong role. So this is playing going to play havoc for us as Wessex has become the dominant force in the new idea of England. Yeah, so Egbert, Alfred's powerful grandfather, we can only speculate as to her name. Osba, Alfred's mother, we only know about her because Asa relates this anecdote about her, otherwise mm. she wasn't previously named. God. So Pauline Stafford, historian, says that to marry into the West Saxon ruling family in the 9th century was to sink into obscurity, yet outside Wessex its women could achieve the height of fame and power. God. What a waste of talent, then. Mm. If they actually knew that she... Uh, well, maybe they didn't. But so, but women were allowed to achieve great things elsewhere. Mm. What a waste of time. But why exactly do Wessex have this hang-up yeah. about women? Well, there are a few examples, but the most notable one is a woman called Edburh. Not the one that we mentioned earlier, um, Elswith's mother. Mm. The different one. This one was the daughter of Offa of Mercia. Yeah. And she married King Beotric of Wessex. Uh-oh. Mm. And she's said to have been very influential. And as Asa relates, she was not a trustworthy character. <laughs> as soon as she had won the king's friendship and power throughout almost the entire kingdom, she began to behave like a tyrant after the manner of her father. To loathe every man whom Beatrix liked, to denounce all those whom she could before the king, and thus by trickery to deprive them of either life or power. And if she could not achieve that end with the king's compliance, she killed them with poison. Ah. This is known to have happened with a certain young man very dear to the king, whom she poisoned when she could not denounce him before the king. But the king took it first, and both of them died as a result. Oh, gosh. So she kills the king of Wessex. Oh, right. 
So, because of one psychopath. How do we know so much about her? Well, because, Asa tells us, <laughs> I have heard the explanation from my lord, the truthful Alfred, mm. who still often tells me about it, that this disputed and indeed infamous custom of not crowning their queens originated on account of a certain grasping and wicked queen who did everything she could against her lord and the whole people so that not only did she earn hatred for herself, but she also brought the same foul stigma on all queens who came after her. Mm. Right. So it is directly told to Asa by Alfred, it's because of this woman, we don't have queens in Wessex. That's amazing, though, this, um, that this whole... The the problem with this whole first bit of this series is the the reason for it mm. is told to us by Alfred. Yeah. His very words. Um, yeah, so Alfred does have some personal experiences, which also he might have drawn upon to put him off having a queen consort. Mm. His father, Ethelwulf, took him on pilgrimage to Rome when he was a mm. young boy. Oh, yeah. Uh, and in 856, they spent three months with, um, this is Charles the Bald, King of France, and France had suffered, or Francia, as it is at the time, they'd suffered terrible Viking raids in the 850s, whereas Wessex had had a bit of success. So they think, oh, have a bit of an alliance with Wessex. Yeah, see what they can do. And they negotiate a marriage alliance. Uh, it's very unusual to have a Carolingian, Carolingian princess marry. Apparently they would preserve the royal bloodline, so they'd just send the daughters off to nunneries. Oh, right. But such as their want of an alliance, that uh, we have a prestigious match. So Ethelwulf, in his 50s, marries Judith, the daughter of Charles the Bald. Alfred's mother is dead at this point. Mm. So oh, okay. Ethelwulf takes a second bride, which is Judith, the daughter of Charles the Bald, or Francia, 12 or 14 years old or so. Oh dear. Now, Charles has misgivings about this. Yeah. Partly, of course, the age gap. But also, he disapproves of the low status that queens have in Wessex. So he insisted that before she go back to England, she be crowned and anointed queen. Right. Which she was at Reims. So she was she was anointed queen of Wessex mm. in a French city. Yeah. Weird. When they come back to England, the eldest son, so Alfred's eldest brother, Ethelbold, is mm. leading a rebellion against his father. Because mm. he thinks... If there are any sons had by his father and Judith, the new wife, yeah. because she's been anointed queened. Yeah. and queened and all of that, that their children might be seen to be of higher status yeah. than him and his brothers. Yeah. So he's not willing to accept this, so thus he rebels against his father, and ultimately they have to split the kingdom. So Ethelbald took the richer western part, and father takes the not-so-good east bits. And then when Alfred's king, that's all put to bed. Oh, it all gets brought back together when the father dies. And uh, indeed, that happens in 858. And apparently, to either neutralise the threat or just enhance his own standing, Ethelbald then marries Judith. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's what it was all about. So he marries his stepmother. Right. Who's younger than him, though. Younger than him, yeah. Mm. He died in uh, 860, Ethelbald, without issue. So Judith sells her properties in Wessex, goes back to France. Uh, she was sent to a nunnery, but apparently then eloped with Baldwin of Flanders. And they had to go off to Rome to persuade the Pope not to excommunicate them and to secure a reconciliation with her father. Brilliant. But so Alfred has seen firsthand the danger of formally anointing a queen. Yeah. The internal strife. His father ultimately loses his kingdom as a result of this. And yeah. that's directly after the glories of visiting the Pope in Rome. Yeah. So for little Alfred, 
probably quite a formative yeah. anti-queen experience. And he's more likely to say it's because of the woman who did the poisoning than it was my evil stepmother. Mm. And he may also have been thinking about Ethelwald. There's one charter for Alfred's predecessor as king, Ethelred, his older brother, which refers to his consort as Wulfrith Regina. Oh. No direct evidence that she was crowned, but if she was, Alfred might have been sensitive to the fact that her son, Ethelwald, is the son of a consecrated queen. Yeah. So either... He wants to diminish the position of the queen so he doesn't have his wife. Oh, he's like dismissing it as an idea. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Queens aren't a thing. Yeah. Or he might have been aware that if he has Elswith crowned and anointed, yeah. that that's quite a political statement and that for anybody who thinks that Ethelwald should one day be king yeah. instead of Edward the Elder or indeed instead of Alfred, yeah. going to that extra step with Elswith might be provocative enough for them to think right he's clearly yeah. up to business okay to rebel god there's a lot to it isn't there there is a lot to it but as we said the lesson taken elsewith and other women they're not missing from uh, this period in the histories because they weren't important or because they didn't have a role in society but it's a deliberate and political decision made by alfred and those around him not to include them in their chosen narrative right well thanks for the explanation alfred but also cheers yeah. It would have been more useful to have some, you know, Something, some detail. Exactly. Um, but it's also a fluctuating situation. Queens aren't sidelined and diminished from the off. As we said, we've got the early role in Christianity. Many examples, particularly mercy of powerful figures. And thankfully for us, in the 10th century, the consorts and indeed queens mm. in Wessex and England, as it becomes, will have a stronger role. Right. So although it's at a low point now, mm. things are going to get better. Yeah. Okay, But that is, as provided by Alfred the Great, why he's we, mucked it all up. We didn't have queens. Okay. Mm. That is very interesting. Mm. Correspondence Corner. As you said, if you want to get in touch with us, let us know what you mm. think about this episode. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at RexFactorPod. RexFactorPod. Like the Facebook page. Email RexFactorPodcast.hotmail.com and also go to RexFactor.wordpress.com for blogs and completing polls. And as you said, hashtag consort cards. Contact us by any of those means. Send in your playing card image for this episode. I am really looking forward to those coming in. Yeah, that should be fun. Yeah. Um, if you want to support us, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Very whatever helpful. else you use and subscribe. And if you donate on a monthly basis, join our Privy Councillor. You can get some bonus content, such as our Privy Chamber bonus podcast that we Ooh. do after each of these episodes. Also, special episode access, mugs and T-shirts, depending on what level you donate at. Yeah. And we've got some new Privy Councillors to welcome to we really? the halls. Halls? Of the yeah. chamber. Yeah. Courtney, uh, how do you pronounce this? Gilead? I love Gilead? This is my favourite bit. The BWB Film Club. Oh, Which yeah. is now at 4Film Fans, spelt F-O-U-R as in the number four. They did a, a little review of us, didn't yeah. they? Cheryl Warren, M. Smith 122693, Dale Pearson, Carolyn Marks, Vanessa Richards, Michael Moran, Devitt Stew, Hayley Lutart, Emma Martin, Mr. Carbohydrate, and Brooke Holbrough. <laughs> Sorry, you're going to have to say the last one again because Mr. Carbohydrate got me. <laughs> Brooke Holbrough. Thank you all very much. And Mr. Carbohydrate, we're going to have to have some chats. Sorry, Sir Carbohydrate. Mm. Uh, we've got a new special episode out on the Empress Matilda that we've referred to a couple of times a day. So if you want to check that out. I really enjoyed that one. That is purchasable. 
And uh, in our Privy Chamber episode, which we'll be doing on this episode, we'll have some more morsels from Asa mm. and some more details about some of those early and indeed mythological queens. Okay. But first, or indeed, finally, yeah. some messages. Okay. Firstly, from some of our new Privy Councillors. It's from Wackim Carstensen. As a Dane, I of course love when you talk about the Vikings, especially the episodes with Ivor the Boneless, as he is my namesake. Hmm. About his name... It's now believed his name is a result of a transcription error where Exosus, the hated, became Exos, no bones. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense for a Viking to be mm. the hated. And he good hopes fact, that, though. Indeed, good fact. He hopes that we one day do a Danish Rex Factor. Yeah, a lot of people ask him for that. Waggyog. <laughs> I've dreamed of this day from the days of Alfred the Adequate. Finally, I can say I'm a member of what is surely among the most august organisations known to podcast them. I have to pinch myself to make sure I'm not dreaming. This guy, I like the cut of his jib. <laughs> Robert Williams. Edgar wasn't robbed. Thank you. Peace is overrated. Thank quite right. For the time, at least. Yeah. So those are new Privy Councillors and some general correspondence from our other listeners. Mm -hmm. Caroline on WordPress. Hey, all. Hi. American listener here. Hello. Being ethnically Irish and Scottish, I didn't have much respect for Edward I until um. that episode. Oh. Even one of my history teachers glossed over the Walls of the Roses as a bunch of cousins with the same names killing each other and we ended up with Henry VIII. Yeah, I mean, when that's the outcome. <laughs> when we got to Elizabeth I, he said, Now we are in a position of having a reigning queen that hadn't happened in England since the Anglo-Saxon days of Matilda. What? It always struck in my head because I was thinking I've never heard of a queen Matilda and I'm a super and I'm super interested in regnant queens. So as I'm listening to the episode and we're getting closer to 1066 and the end of the Saxon dynasty I'm like okay where's Matilda? Where's the Matilda episode? Then as I kept listening I discovered that not only was she never properly queen she was also a Norman not a Saxon. Yeah. Some dodgy history teaching over there in oh, America. Oh my word. Uh, Cormac MacGillar Bridge. Mm. I have an answer to why Donald in the first, uh, in the Scottish series, Donald mm. the first, isn't wearing pants on his Heritage Limited playing card. You trousers. Yeah, yeah, no trousers. Donald wears the Oh, wears the trousers, yeah. I am into historic reenactment, focusing on Ireland during the Viking era. Yeah. Donald, being a Scot, was in fact Irish, as there was a shared culture that crossed the Irish Sea from Ireland to Scotland at this point. Yeah. During early Christian and Viking era Ireland, noble Irish did not wear pants as a sign of status. The lower class, however, did. So he's got an example. We, there was a Viking ruler, Magnus Bearlegs. Yeah. And he acquired this nickname after visiting the Hebrides. Okay. So he was like, oh, I see. Off come the trousers. That is odd, isn't it? And 1110, Guibert of Nogent described the Scots seen on pilgrimage as being bare-legged with their shaggy cloaks coming from their marshy homelands. But it's swarmer with trousers on. I thought maybe... Rich should say these trousers, I tell you what, they make such a difference. <laughs> yeah. You lot aren't allowed to wear these. These are too cool. Uh, but to say, tell you what, lads, we're in this exclusive club. Whip your trousers off, <laughs> throw them on the fire, and let's go out there. And if anyone laughs at us, off with a head. Mm. Well, I mean, it's an explanation, <laughs> but I, I mean, it's this it just leads to another question of why. Mm hmm. 
but thank you all the same. We're slowly uncovering <laughs> the motivation of mm. Donald and his sartorial choices. <laughs> so thank you very much for that email and for all the others. Yeah. Um, as we said, do get in touch. Um, whatever point you are in the podcast, it's always fun to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hear from you. But next time we will be doing an episode on Elswith's daughter, Ethelfled, Lady of the Mercians. Cool. And that one will be much heavier on biography, much heavier on action, a proper full-on episode. Boom. Till then. Cheerio.